My name is Stephen Shepard, and I'm the director of Church Planting International. And today we're going to talk about the church. What is the church? How is the church built? And um, what are the qualities? What should be the qualities of the church? So we're going to talk about that today from uh, Matthew 16. And um, perhaps we could stand and I'll read my text this morning from Matthew 16, uh, beginning in verse 13. But actually, my message today will concern verse 18. I'm going to read that first, and I'm going to read the context for it. Verse 18. Actually, 18b. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Yes, and then beginning with verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Lord, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help me impart your word, put my trust in your Holy Spirit. I pray that your word will be a blessing to all those who hear it, that that you'll strengthen our faith and you'll work in our hearts and you'll encourage our hearts today and that our lives will be for your glory and honor. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Praise the Lord. So his disciples uh, were with Jesus and Jesus asked them, who do, who do who the men say that I am? And, uh, and so Jesus listed a bunch of options. And uh, he asked uh, his disciples directly, what, what about you? Who do you say I am? And that's really the most important question that, that we could be that we, for, for our lives. Because how we answer that question and what we believe is the truth about that question will, will determine our eternal destiny. And um, Peter answers, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, you're blessed. Blessed, you're, you have God's favor. You have, uh, blessed means happiness. You're, happiness from having God's favor, right? And that's um, not based upon what we do, but it's based upon about the grace and mercy of God. And so um, he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter, when he looked at Jesus, he saw him not just as a man, not just as an ordinary man. He recognized him 
as somebody special, as the son of the living God, as God incarnate. And, and Jesus said that, that it was his father that revealed that to him. And that's the way it is for all of us. Amen. All of us who are saved. There's a big difference between being religious and being saved or having eternal life or being one of God's children. We must be born again. We must have Jesus revealed to our hearts. And so it takes a revelation for anyone to know who Jesus is. And that's because when we're born, we're born with the sin nature, we're dead in trespasses and sins. Um, we're born separated from God, out of fellowship with God, out of communion with God, alienated from God. This is the way we're all born. And so uh, if we stay in that state, then it's only eternal judgment that awaits us. But if, we, if we're converted, if we turn to Christ, if, if, if we're reconciled to him through faith in Christ, in his finished work, then we, we have eternal fellowship with, with God. And so it takes a revelation. It takes the Holy Spirit. It must be the work of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts have to be changed for this to happen. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, The natural man, the natural man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know him them, because they are spiritually discerned. They can't know them. They can't discern them. They can understand them intellectually, but not, not in a way that, that, that whereby you are convinced enough to embrace this truth, embrace Jesus Christ and give your life to him. You don't desire that because you're, you're dead in sins and trespasses. It says the carnal mind is enmity against God, Romans 8, 7. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So in our, in our natural selves, we're at odds with God, and, and we're not able even to subject ourselves to the law of God, and we cannot please God. So someone like that, on his own strength, can't just turn to Christ and turn over a new leaf and do all the right things and embrace and love God and have faith in, in Christ, which would be pleasing him, but in our sinful natures, we cannot please God, the Bible says. So this is just the, the, the hard truth about our, our human natures. And it explains a lot about our world today. And so, but it takes a revelation. And, and saving faith, then, is a gift from God. In Philippians 1.29, it says, it has been given to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his namesake. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Second Peter 1, 1, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. Um, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so we know that if, if we have faith, it's because... God has given us that faith that he's revealed in our hearts through the work. He comes to us and reveals himself to us. And that's why we believe in him. And it's by grace, 100% by grace, not because of anything in us at all. So Jesus said, I will build my church. 
And I, that's a promise. That, so we know it's going to happen. We know Jesus promised to build his church. So I, I direct an organization called Church Planning International. And at the beginning, back in the 80s, I, I thought, well, we can, we can plant churches. And I guess, yeah, we can get people together. But really, uh, I can't plant churches. It, it, you know, it, it's Jesus that is building his church. So this is a supernatural thing. So what, what can I do? I can preach. I can love people, I can pray, but God has to do the work. And he says, I will build my church. I will do it. And, and it's, it, he promises to do it. And so that's what he's all about. That's, that's God's work on the earth today, uh, building his church. And we know that Revelation, he says, I behold a great multitude, which 7, 9, and 10, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A vision of people uh, around the throne worshiping God from, from all the nations. Well, what is the church that he's building? First of all, it's certainly not this building. It's not our meetings, not even our meetings together. It's not an event. It's not a program. It's not a business. Uh, it's not a social club. I'll read you what I have here. Uh, the church, the word is ecclesia of God, which means the called out ones, the people of God, those individuals who are called out by God from the rest of the world to be his people. And the church is the community of all true believers for all time. So the, in the Bible, there's, there's two ways that we think about the church. It's, uh, it's, it's the universal church and it's the local church. Or in another way of saying it, it's the visible church and the invisible church. So the, the local church and the visible church... Our, our congregations of believers who meet together to worship God, who, who believe the biblical gospel, profess the gospel of Christ, Christ, salvation through faith in Christ. They profess the gospel, they meet together, they worship God. In its most simplest terms, that's the church, that's the local church. And it's, and it's visible to, to us and these are the people we fellowship. Now, in the visible church, there are usually both the saved and the unsaved. There's believers and there's unbelievers. There's the born again and the not born again. There's the elect and the non-elect in the local church. So we think a lot of people identify that you're, in the, you're a child of God, you come to church, or maybe you've been baptized, you go to the fellowship meetings, but... Not everybody who does that is necessarily, at least yet, a part of the universal church. And, and God sees the hearts because there really must be a, a change of heart. We must be born again. We must really believe in Jesus. And so this is the work of, of God, um, the local church. So here's a, a, a verse that uh, talks about local churches. 
which I really like in Acts 9.31, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria, had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now, isn't that a beautiful picture of um, what churches can be and what God wants them to be? And what they were at this time, at least these churches in the book of Acts, during that time of great revival, the churches had peace and were edified and were walking in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. These are local churches. I love local churches. I, because the local church is God's instrument to bring his people into the universal church. And the local churches can reflect the glory of God, the, the agape love of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the community, the, the unity. And, and uh, for all their faults and <laughs> for all the blemishes, still... The local church is beautiful and, and, and can be a heavenly community. And sure, there's going to be problems and, and there's hypocrisy and there's people who fall into sin and there's disunity. But amidst it all, the local church is God's plan and we're, he's called us to be in a local church. And, um, and he wants to use the local church for his mission. And so... Um, now, the universal church is our only believers, only the born again, only the elect. And, and it's invisible because God sees, only God sees who they are. Um, he says in 2 Timothy 2.19, the solid foundation of God stands having the seal. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Yeah, so that the local church um, or the universal church, Ephesians five twenty five, says Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. He's talking about the universal church, the His, the, the people that are going to be with Him forever in eternity, the invisible church. And it says in Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not, a, not his. So if we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we're part of that universal church, and we will forever be part of that universal church, and we will never be yanked out of that church. We will never be. We will always be part of it. Once we're in the universal church, we will stay there, I believe. Well, um, there are images in the Bible uh, that I think teach us the nature of the universal church. Because this is the church that God is building. The, when he says, I will build my church, he's talking about the universal church, his people from all nations. But he's going to use local churches to do it. Yeah. And so the local church should strive to be like he sees the universal church and, and reflect that. So um, these are images and these images, all the, everyone I'm going to mention, point to a mystery 
of the union that we have with Christ, the union with Christ. The church is a community of people where all of its members are in spiritual union with Jesus Christ, and, and because they have union with Christ, they have union with one another. And this is the reality of the, of the universal church. It's not what we're striving for. I mean, we should strive to manifest it, walk in it, but it's actually just the objective reality that, that every one part of the universal church has spiritual union with Christ and, and union with one another. And um, Jesus said, John 14, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's talking about union, spiritual union with Christ uh, that we have right now. Because the Bible says we're seated with him in heavenly places. We are already with him, but not physically. And we don't um, have that full realization in our experience, but we are with him. We are in union with him. It says Second um, Corinthians thirteen five. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you are disqualified? Okay, so some of the images that teach this. First of all, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Ephesians 1.22. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, the universal church, is the body of Christ. The body speaks of many members and all connected. And again, a, a unity, a unity a union with Christ and with one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. The body is one and has many members. All the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. One body, many members. For by one spirit we are baptized into one body. We're already, we've already been put there in that one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we've all been made to drink of one spirit. So really, I mean... Uh, Pursuing the unity, it's just trying to pursue what we already are, what God has already made us. Also, another image is that we're a temple, we're a building, we're a house. Ephesians 2.22 says, In whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, together reform the temple of God, and God, God's presence fills this temple. Once again, all the living stones built together into the spiritual house, joined into one unit together, each one having a function and a part. Then, uh, in the Bible, it describes us as the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So marriage is a, is a picture, points to a spiritual reality of, of a union that we have as the bride of Christ. And uh, that's what we are. We are members of his body, it says, verse 30, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning 
Christ and the church. So this, this oneness in marriage just points to a, a greater oneness, a greater fulfillment, a spiritual oneness, a, an eternal oneness. And Revelation 21.2 says, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of a heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her family. And then also uh, describes the church as a household or a family. Ephesians 2.19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And lastly... The union of believers with Christ and the union of believers with one another is even compared to the union that exists within the Trinity itself between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is just a really amazing thing that we, we partake of the, uh, the fellowship of the Trinity, the fellowship of the Trinity, the, co- the communion of three persons and one God. Yeah, and we're and we become part of that. Um, John seventeen twenty one to twenty three. Jesus prayed for his people, and he says that they all may be one, as you Father are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And so <laughs> that's just amazing, something that we can't comprehend, but we can experience it. And we, we, we know the Lord personally and experientially, spiritually. Okay, so this is the universal church. This is what God is building, and he's using the local churches to do it. And the local churches are to reflect the reality of, of, the, of the universal church, and that reality is that spiritual union. That, that unity that we have, that love, that, that, that sacrificial love that he commanded us, love one another as I have loved you. So um, church, ecclesia, called out ones, this is how Jesus builds his church. He, he builds his church through inwardly calling the people to himself. When, when it says he, call, he calls us out, this means that God takes the initiative. He takes the initiative. He comes to us because in our sins, we would never have come to him. The reason we come to him is he comes to us first. And it's just total grace. And God is glorified through grace. It's just counterintuitive to us because we think, well, why us and not others? And... and uh, and we think, well, somebody must deserve it more or whatever. But no, no, God, God works on the principle of, of grace, which means it, the reason doesn't reside in us in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's because of his mercy independent of us. We still respond, but, but it's all because of a work of grace. And he calls us. He comes to us. And he causes us to understand. He opens our eyes. He illumines us. He reveals himself. He touches our hearts. And he says, come. He says to you individually. It's a personal call. It's an inward call. It's a spiritual call. And the Bible says the one he calls, he justifies. And the one he justifies, he glorifies. So once he calls us, once he calls us, we know 
that, that, and we respond in repentance and faith, which he doesn't do for us. It's our, we, we do respond. And then once we're justified, we're adopted, and we're preserved in him, and we're sanctified, and then eventually we're perfected. And this is God's plan of salvation from beginning to end by his grace. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Yeah, so here's a verse about calling. Most of the verses about calling are about God calling his people individually, personally, spiritually, and very little about the external call, like a call that the preacher would give, very little about that, but mostly this spiritual call that God gives. He says, Peter says, Acts 2, 38, Repent and everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and to all who are far off and as many as the Lord our God will call. The promises for as many as he will call. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many, many verses about calling and um, and it's necessary because, like I said, if it wasn't for God calling us, we would not come to him. Je- that's why Jesus said in John six forty four, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That drawing is like the calling. He, he says, and they shall all be taught of God. As many as have heard, hear and learned of the Father come to me. So this is God teaching us and revealing himself and calling us and empowering us to come to him by grace, by grace. He's glorified by grace because he does it all. That's why. And he, he, God is all about his own glory, which is why it can't be of us. Because otherwise, we, we could have some, we'd have some little reason for boasting, which we don't. Okay, so um, now, what are the qualities of, a little bit about the qualities of the universal church that Jesus is building? I'm going to mention, there's probably, there's more qualities than this, but I'm going to mention four qualities of the universal church, the church that Jesus is building from amongst all nations, peoples, tribes, and tongues. First, a united people. Secondly, a holy people. Thirdly, a faithful people, or I might say a persevering people. And fourth, a victorious people. First, a united people. And we've already talked about that, that that's the very essence of the church, that we have union with, we have that communion with Christ and with one another. That's an objective reality. Now, we, it is also a subjective experience and and I think we can experience it in a profound way, and it's wonderful. But it's an objective reality. It's already happened. We've already been reconciled with Christ in his body, joined together. And so it's when there's division, when there's gossip, when there's unforgiveness, that's just walking in a lie and, and needs to be repented of because it's not who we are. It's not what God has called us to be. So we're, it's a united people and then a holy people. So, the gospel is such a glorious and powerful message that even though it's all, it's all by grace, 
and not, not of us. And it's, it's by faith alone. It's by resting in him. It's just by believing. Yet, it still results in holiness and, and being conformed to his image. Why? Because he gives us a new heart. And he gives us that desire. He works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And, and uh, we are inclined towards him and we want to please him. And the more we grow in holiness, the more of his presence we experience. The more of his power we experience. You know, that's... I was really a part of the charismatic movement and even Pentecostal for a while. And I still believe in all the gifts of the Spirit and that, but uh, God manifests them according to his sovereign will. But, but this of coming and some sort of experience that we have for the moment that people seem to crave and seek after, but really to experience God's presence and power is this process of, of learning to obey him and, and enter into his holiness and then have a more intimate fellowship with him. There's no shortcut to it. And that's the real power of God. Something that endures. Something that causes us to be strong and confident. And, and feeling at peace and secure in him. And ready to, to take on whatever God calls us to do. Yeah. So we're a holy people. Uh, which just means to be set apart. And this is the fruit of saving faith. And uh, in, in Ephesians, um, well, Second Corinthians, the, this is evidence of, of, of being part of the universal church, the evidence of being a child of God. Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Romans 8.29, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. 1 John 2, 3-4, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Hebrews 12.14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we see that holiness accompanies salvation. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect or we're not going to be distracted ever or, or stumble, but it means that this is our, our desire and we're in the process of this and we're growing in holiness. And sometimes we take you know, two steps forward and one step back, but, but our hearts are changed. We're no longer comfortable in, in living in sin and living as the world is. We're not comfortable. It's not what we desire. We've become a new creature. We're a holy people. We've been set apart. God has put his seal upon us and, and called us out from this, this sinful world to be a special, peculiar people, a holy people for himself. And that is one of the qualities of the universal church, a united people and a holy people. Also a faithful people. A faithful people. God's people... Or, can I say, a persevering people. Persever Perseverance is one of the uh, most important, strongest evidences that someone is born again, born again because they persevere. That, that under trial, they still believe. They still 
desire to be faithful. And um, many, in fact, in my work, that's one of the questions I often get is, we had these people in our church, and they were, and then all of a sudden now, they're just, they have no interest, they're in the world, they're doing this, they're doing that, and uh, what happened to them, why? And so I can only say that, that, that God will bring them back, or else maybe they were never saved to begin with, very possible. And, um, and sometimes I am utterly surprised and shocked because people that I see who seem to me to be strong Christians and then suddenly do things that, that I can't imagine a Christian would ever be able to do. And I, not that we can judge, we can't, but it's just a, not, not showing evidence of, of salvation and, and cause, a cause for concern of, and prayer for that person. And um, because we don't see the hearts, God sees what's going on inside of us. He knows our hearts. And, and so we only see on the outside. And it can be very deceiving. It can be. And so um, anyway, but, but God's people will be a faithful people. Um, Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus. Revelation 17, 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Those are the ones. Now, now we don't get to be with Jesus because we try to be faithful. But if we are with Jesus because we have believed in him and are born again, then the result is that we will tend to be faithful. That there's a characteristic. It's, it's a description of, of what, what the children of God are like. That's why Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. It's not through trying to endure. that No, but if we are saved, we will endure to the end. Um, Philippians 1.6 being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We will persevere because he perseveres with us. He who began a good work will complete it. He'll perfect it. He preserves us. He perseveres with us. His hand is upon us. He will not let us go. What is that song you were rehearsing? We will, he will hold me tight, right? Not that we hold him tight. We hold him because he holds us tight, right? I hope that will be great to sing that today. Um, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk on my statues. And you will keep my judgments. So his people are a persevering people, a faithful people. Not perfectly, not times, not never being unfaithful. No, I'm saying that, that this will be the trajectory of our life. And lastly, so we mentioned uh, the church is a united people, a holy people, and a faithful people, but also a victorious people. So getting back to our text, Jesus says, I will build my church. Um, on, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, on this rock, I wasn't going to comment too much on that, but... Uh, 
not Peter as a, a leader, but he was like uh, maybe the confessor of Christ and the first one to confess Christ and the first of the living stones or the first one that made it manifest. And so it's not Peter, but it's, it's that confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was an aside, but um, he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So a lot of people think that the gates of Hades means that Satan, Satan will not prevail against the church, that we'll be victorious against Satan. Satan's attacks will be fierce, but they will never prevail. And that's true. That's true. Um, it says in Colossians 1.13, he delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us to the kingdom of, of, his, of the son of his love. So that we, we've already, he's already delivered us from Satan. Hebrews 2 says that um, through death he might destroy, 2.14, through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So Satan was defeated through the cross. I love all these, these the verses that talk about what has already happened. And that's, I mean, I was kind of a mess even as a Christian before I saw that truth, that uh, it's all been done, all that we need has been done. It's a matter of, Resting in what Christ has done, Christ alone, he's sufficient, he's all we need. We already are there because of what Christ has done. And we can't make things happen, we can't make ourselves believe better or have a stronger faith or get rid of our doubts, but Jesus can. And so what we can do is, is trust him and rest in him and, and he, he will do the work, but we can't do it ourselves. So I think there's another meaning of um, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against that he will build his church, the gates of Hades. The gates of Hades, Hades in uh, the Hebrew um, culture, Jewish thought, referred to the realm of the dead. So I think it more means that, that um, the gates of Hades, the gates that keep people in, in, in the realm of the dead, the gates of Hades, the gates of death could not hold Jesus. And the gates of death will not be able to hold us. The gates of death will not prevail over us. And we will, in fact, never really die. Only our bodies will die, not our spirits. We will be in the blink of an eye with Jesus, awaiting the resurrection of our bodies. Amen. And uh, Revelation 1-7, he says... He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. So death couldn't hold him and can't hold us. And, and um, the... Death will never destroy us, and we have the victory over death. And, and so um, we, we are secure in Christ Jesus. Je Jesus said, John 6, 39, This is the will of my Father who sent me, that all he has given me 
I should lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. And then Romans 8, 38 says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 1 Corinthians 1.8, who will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. So the promise that uh, death will never have victory over us and uh, that we will have victory over death. Every, every one in the universal church will never die and will be with the Lord forever and cannot be lost if you're in the universal church. You belong to Jesus' flock, Jesus' people. You were called out from the world to belong to him. And, and this is the church he's building. He says, I will build my church and the gates of death, the gates of Hades will not prevail over the church. So we need to be convinced of this victory that we have in Christ. The, the church is, is a united people. It's a holy people. It's a, a faithful people and a victorious people. Be convinced of this victory that we have all because of Jesus Christ that we don't deserve and doesn't depend upon our performance but it depends upon Jesus, and it's what we have. We're children of God. We are seated in heavenly places with him. We're more than conquerors. We are forgiven of our sins. We're justified. We are being sanctified, and we will be glorified. Praise the Lord. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this time together in your word. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to to receive your word, that you would give us a great hunger for your word, and that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and that you would empower us to go forth with your gospel and proclaim your word, and serve you, and serve one another, and manifest that, that, um, that new uh, life that you've given us for the church that you are building to the world that greatly needs to see that hope that you would use all of us as a united body to reach the world. May you be glorified through, uh, through grace, uh, Christian fellowship, through each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.